please remain standing as Gino comes to read to us from God's Word in the book of Ecclesiastes. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what, up, what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them that to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is already has, that which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As I said, this week was a two-day classes meeting, which was pretty intense, and a number of other things happening as well. So often, kind of in preparing a sermon, what happens is all these kind of loose threads are floating around, and you sit down towards the end of the week, and you pull them together. And Lord willing, they come together in a way that glorifies him and that speaks to his people. I just want to say, these threads were pulled together much more recently than I care to admit. But I really hope that as we look into this somewhat familiar passage anyway, that God will speak to our hearts and maybe we'll see a little different side of it than what we have sometimes seen when this text is used usually. I think the place we most often hear it is at funerals. One author has written a common illustration of the ways God and the understanding of, of the ways of God and the understanding of man is that of a tapestry on a loom. From the vantage underneath, little is visible but snarls and knots. But above, the beautiful pattern of the work on the loom can be seen. As Solomon has shown, we live out our lives under the loom and everything we see is vanity. So how can we see the pattern above? The only possible answer is through faith in the sovereign God. And I think that's an amazing and beautiful way of approaching this text that we have before us this morning. Solomon wrote, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. 
Now, right off the bat, I want us to notice and understand that we're not just talking about good things. Solomon didn't say for all the good things that happen in life, there is a season. We're talking about everything. If we were talking about only the good things, at least as we perceive those things, if the Holy Spirit had inspired Solomon to write, for everything there is a season, a time to be born, and a time to grow strong, a time to make money, and a time to make more money, a time to hunt, and a time to play golf. If that's how this passage read, then no one would have any problems whatsoever with it. Christians and even unbelievers will often express gratitude and a sense of having been blessed when everything's going our way. I've heard it many, many times. I've, I've heard people who I know have openly said, I don't really believe in God, say, oh, we're so blessed to have this or that or something that pleases them. And in the case of an unbeliever who says such a thing, it's not clear who they think might be blessing them. But regardless, when we are on top of the world, it's just not hard to imagine that some higher power or maybe even blind fate has taken us in hand to give us an abundance and to make life wonderful. But Solomon wrote this, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, we celebrate that, and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. We might even say, going from the illustration that I opened the sermon with, a time for snarls and a time for knots. In fact, the rhythm of this ancient Hebrew poetry might remind some of us of something that's a little closer to home for us anyway than the writings of Solomon. Lord's Day 10 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, I've already asked you who are catechism students, please memorize Lord's Day 1. You need to do that before we get to Lord's Day 10 because I will ask you to memorize this one too. It's one of the most important Lord's Days in the entire catechism. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them, that would be heaven and earth and all creatures, God so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, Prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. All things. So a time to be born and a time to die. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather them together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace, a time for every purpose under heaven, as verse 1 reads in the old King James and also in the old folk song, 
by the birds. If you know what I'm talking about, you're showing your age. The Hebrew doesn't require that translation of purpose, but I like it because it gets at what I think is sometimes missed here, that Solomon is not merely repeating the thought from chapter 1, that time like an ever-rolling stream soon bears us all away, we fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. If I can summarize what Solomon said in the words of Isaac Watt, that too is true, but that's not the point here in chapter 3. Verse 9 might appear to lean that way a little bit. What gain, says Solomon, has the worker from his toil? That's a pretty common theme in the book of Ecclesiastes. But consider verse 10. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. So the question of verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil, is not rhetorical. It's not simply another expression of the futility or vanity of labor under the sun. I think what we're seeing here is that Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is being led slowly but inexorably to a different conclusion than what he might have thought he was going to write about when he sat down to write this book. Solomon may have sat down and said, life is terrible. I had everything. I've never been satisfied. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But the Holy Spirit had something else in mind when Solomon sat down. And God said, you know what? You can start off there but I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey that's going to bring you back to my grace. And you're going to see that in the end, really, nothing is meaningless. Toil under the sun. These are harsh words. And they seem bitter and sometimes pointless. But in reality, this is the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And why? Why did God give us that? Why has God imposed toil and trial and struggle on the children of men? Why didn't he just ordain that we be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? Well, verse 11. This is the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And then right away, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, that's one of those verses that is inevitably ripped I might say, screaming and bleeding from its context and put on posters and posted on the internet and all of those things. But it's not meant to be read that way. Well, everything is beautiful in its own way. Quote another hokey old song. It's meant to be read in this context. It doesn't seem like there's anything for man to gain from his toil under the sun, and yet this is the business which God has given to the sons of men to be busy with, and he makes everything beautiful in its time. Even toil, trial, and struggle under the sun. God works his purpose out in these things. He makes them beautiful in the proper time. And we can understand this at least up to a point because that verse goes on to say, also he has put eternity. There's a book by that name, Eternity in Their Hearts. It's not a bad book. But honestly, the Hebrew here 
can also mean darkness. God has put eternity or darkness into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. So what Solomon is saying is there's something in our heart that sort of pulls us toward God, but we can't arrive at an understanding of the purpose of God by looking inside, by getting in touch with our feelings, by reasoning outward from our own heart. God has put eternity there, but he put it there so that we would hunger for more than what this life and this world has to offer, so that we would know that fulfillment and personal identity cannot be found here inside of ourselves. Paul said something very parallel to this when he was speaking to the philosophers at Athens in Acts chapter 17. He told them, And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. God put every human being, every nation on this earth, and he appointed the times and the seasons and the locations in which they live. And in all of that, what God is doing is saying, take a look around at the futility of the world, and if you can see it, then you know that you need me. And honestly, this is the purpose for all that we encounter under the sun. In all of the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, in all that God has given. And when we understand that this is what God has given and why, then verse 12 makes sense. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. And that last phrase just doesn't seem like it fits the rest. Enjoy life while you have it. And, you know, eat and drink and take pleasure in all your toil. To say it's counterintuitive is to say the very least, but this is still God's gift to man. The eternity or darkness, that hunger that God has put into our hearts, the recognition that we are more than just atoms and impulses who will one day disappear forever into the dust, gives us the ability to enjoy the things of this world while we're here, and hopefully without making them into idols. It even gives us the ability to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I know we've talked about that before, but I think it bears repeating. God wants us to count it as joy when we meet various trials. Why? For we know that the steadfastness or that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, these trials of various kinds, the testing of our faith which seems so random and inexplicable, is really God at work drawing his children to himself. I don't think I can make this point clearly enough. If you belong to him, if you belong to God, body and soul, in life and in death, 
than trial and struggle and pain and weakness and all of those things that come to the common lot of humanity is not a sign that God has abandoned or forgotten you. It's just the opposite of that. It's a sign on the side of the road that says under construction. Now, usually that means this rough road is under construction and hopefully the road is going to be better. But in this case, that under construction sign means that you are. You are under construction. So am I. So is everyone who ever came to God through faith in Jesus Christ, together with all those who will one day come to him, when finally the trials and the struggles and the toil of this life under the sun, that sense of eternity in their heart or darkness, or I just don't understand what this is all about, finally makes them turn to the living God and cry out to him for mercy and grace. That's why Solomon wrote, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Not so that we just have a sense of, well, the world goes round and round and what goes up must come down. But so that we would understand God has built these things into our lives, into the rhythm of our lives, because he is at work to accomplish different purposes at different times. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time for blessing. The blessing that we sometimes find in all of the truly good and wonderful things that God has given. We, we sometimes find it there and we sometimes give thanks but everything else too. The blessing that we almost always overlook in the snarls and knots that God uses to weave the tapestry of our lives according to his holy and sovereign plan, working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Some of you have heard me talk about this already, but I was struck by this again a little more than a month ago when Linda and I were down in the States and we attended the memorial service of a good friend, my son's mother-in-law, in fact. She was 56, 56 years old, a minister's wife. She was the mother of eight children and several grandchildren too. And for the last several years of her life, she lived with cancer and with all the pain and all the weakness that came with that. And that wasn't the only thing in her life. When I said she was the mother of eight, I should also add that she lost, in scare quotes, because they were never really lost, and she acknowledged that too, of her eight children quite early in their lives. And there were other issues, other things that happened to her. In many ways, her life was good, but it was certainly no flowery bed of ease, and it came to an end at 56. But sometime early this fall, when she spoke to her pastor about the memorial service that she knew was coming, she very specifically instructed him, I want Lord's Day 10 to be part of that service. She wanted her surviving six children and their spouses and their, their children and all of her family and friends who might be tempted to look back 
on a life that ended at 56 years and say, it's too soon, God, what are you doing? But she wanted them to remember that none of the snarls and knots that could be observed from the underside of that tapestry were accidents or the work of blind, sorry, blind and uncaring fate. She wanted everybody who was at that memorial service to know and to remember that she belonged to God. Not to her husband, not to her children, not to her grandchildren, not to this world. She belonged to God, body and soul, in life and in death. And because she belonged to him, everything that happened, everything, came from his fatherly hand. Not only that, in fact, everything that had happened had worked together ultimately for her salvation. I know I've said it many times, but often when we've had memorial services, we have a banner right there that says, and grace will lead me home. Well, honestly, where did you think home was, and how did you expect to get there? She knew. She knew where home was. She knew that everything that happened, even the cancer that eventually killed her, was taking her home. And it was grace that led her all the way. And she wanted everyone at that service to be reminded of it in no uncertain terms. Because for everything, there is a season. Everything. And a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born. And even a time to die. And this too is God's good gift. Solomon went on to write, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it. And here's why. So that people fear before him. So that, as the Apostle Paul wrote, they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And this is what we were created for. To know the Lord our God and Jesus Christ his Son, and to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. To recognize that that's our purpose. We weren't put here just to enjoy the temporary things of this world as pleasant as those are and God is up there just waiting to make sure that we can do that as long as possible and to the greatest extent possible. We were put here to know God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. We were put here to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. This is his purpose for the world that he made, that his children should glorify him. He's not here for us in that sense. We are here for him. But because God is gracious and good and his grace is amazing, he made us to glorify him and also to enjoy all that he has done. And whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it. So look to him in faith. We have big questions 
in our lives, even when we are young children and young people. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Some of those questions never go away. As we grow older, some of the questions change and take on a little different character. I don't think I have time to run the list. But the answers that you need to the biggest questions in this world and in your life are not going to be found in yourself. God put eternity there. And he did it to draw you to him. And the answers that you need are going to be found in Christ alone. Paul wrote the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Sometimes you hear people talk about the crucifixion of Jesus as if this is the most horrific thing that ever happened in the history of the world. I've seen credit for the death of Jesus being actually given to Satan and other bizarre things. I've seen a website that says, the greatest injustice ever perpetrated in the world. And what we need to remember is this was never the greatest act of injustice ever perpetrated. It was the greatest act of justice. God loved you. And he is drawing us to himself. And in order to do that, that sin that made him so angry needs to be paid for. And so Jesus paid it all, to just put it in plain terms. God poured out the justice that you and I deserved on Jesus Christ, his son, so that he could pour out his grace on us and still be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so everything that has happened in the course of human history, everything that has happened in your life, everything is drawing us to this. What God ordains is always right. So embrace the providence of God. Trust in Christ for your salvation and for all that you need in body and soul and spirit. And as you do, he will be your life and peace and righteousness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us ears to hear what you are saying by your word and spirit to us, your people, the sheep of your pasture. Give us hearts to receive it. And Father, give us all the strength that we need in will and in body to put it into practice and live for your glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.